we blocked from each other, maybe he needs you. And uh, yeah, we had we had a lot of good times. Matter of fact, I forget what movie it was. Oh, it could have been that one. But anyway, we ended up shooting something in his house, his old house. And his family had been gone for years. Oh, we're done. Good morning. John Kretschmer and Scott Davis. Um, we got a call sheet. We're going to go to work in the screening room. And Walk right from here and walk through the side door. Do you mind? Can we use the load? I got. We need to load in. Can I go to the back door and oh, load in? The back door. That's, that's easy. Another problem. Okay, and um, and it's open back there. Yeah, the back door. That big red door is always open. Thank you, sir. Okay, you're welcome. Y'all have a good day. Davis, welcome to Rap Beer. Hey, John Kretschmer, and welcome to Rap Beer. This is Rap Beer. This is uh, this is a, a a new podcast that um, Johnny Kretschmer uh, first uh, introduced to me conceptually. What was your What was the original name you uh, were throwing around? Swamp Fire. Swamp Fire. And boy, that hit me like a lead balloon. I was just, uh, but you know, but at the same time, you know, Johnny's very creative. So there's, you know, who knows where that came from and, and how it might develop. But anyway, then uh, he, I started making some uh, ideas lists and then I got a, um, I, I got a call sheet with rap beer on it. And I went, and it didn't even dawn on me that that was, he was basically saying, this is the new name. It, you know, it, it took me like an hour to go, oh, that's what he means by rap beer, which I thought was so apropos. One thing I thought was funny when I pitched Swamp Fire to you, said, we know John, I, I grew up in Wilmington. That really sounds like Leland. And I thought like, you know, I grew up in Charlotte. Everything this side of Lake Winnebow is a swamp, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Wilmington included. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about perspective. No, it is. But anyway, I, I think rap beer is very apropos for this show. Double entendre. Uh, yeah, yes, and, um, yes. But, you know, it's just, but at the same time, it just, it is such a, uh, it's, it's such a deep connected phrase in yes. our business. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I am retired now from the film industry, um, you know. So uh, far. Co well, coming coming up as a grip and a best boy and a key grip, uh, you know, my body's broken, you know, physically. <laughs> but oh. uh, but no, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I feel great. And uh, and, and I had a great career. But uh, the but the word rap beer was just synonymous, synonymous with a with the industry, especially as a best boy, because that's one of the jobs of the best boy is to have a cooler full of beer. At the end of the day. That's right. So that everybody can sit around and rehash the previous 12 hours that we just did, which is also something I think, I think that's probably in, in, in any industry where you have, where you gather with your coworkers afterwards. But it's, right. it just seems like all we do is relive what we just did. Yeah. You know? Well, and, uh, and as a prop guy, our job was to have rap beer for the whole crew. Yeah, you know, yes. and, um, especially back in the day. Back you know. in the day, and um, <laughs> and it was those uh, moments and that time shared on the tailgate, right under the moon and stars right? at the end of the day. Or for real. my favorite day, and, and I to this day it is still one of my clearest memories because my brain is really going to heck pretty quick. We're on Chestnut Street, right at the corner of Chestnut and uh, Front, and we've been shooting all night. And this is a this is a Dino. I can't remember which one it was, but this was a Dino who Dale ran his picture because this is literally the uh, mid '80s. 
And it's 7.45, we've just finished, we've just gotten the trucks loaded, and we're all sitting on the tailgate, and the tailgate is facing Front Street. And there we all are, drinking beer, laughing, smoking, and there's these guys going to work in ties and their briefcases, and literally... So yes. confused because <laughs> yeah, still yeah. the film industry is very new still. So right. it's, who are these guys? They look like movers yeah. <laughs> and it's like 730 in the morning and they're drinking. Yeah. But I'll never forget the look on these people's faces. Yeah. yeah, And it and I don't know, there was something very cool about that, being that guy with his beer at 730, right. 745 in the morning. But uh, so. I remember a swimming pool in Georgetown, South Carolina as the sun rised and the entire crews in there with the boombox blaring red hot chili peppers or violent films and got dudes are getting up going to work and we're smashed and splashing that's so awesome <laughs> no I, you know that and isn't that really part of the uniqueness of our industry is sure. you know just because it, it it really does become uh it becomes our whole life you know it right. be, uh, especially especially when you're on the road together when everyone is being put up, you know, and and you don't see that as much as used to because there's, you know. Um, but here we are 40 years later in Wilmington where that entire model, you know, right, happened. Where right. the business came here, right. we gathered here, and here you and I are sitting in the screening room at Cinespace Studios where it all happened. Yes. And um, 40 years later, picking up on our conversation just <laughs> as it would have happened on the tailgate. Oh, my gosh. You're under so the moon right. and stars. You're, you're so right. You're so right. Because, I mean, you know, we haven't seen each other since Homeland, really, until recently. And, uh, and, yet, right. and yet we just started talking like I'd seen yeah. you last week. I remember you and I, I think it was uh, No Mercy, where the grip world and the set dressing world merged. You and I had to load up a flatbed truck with something out at the Nevada fertilizer plant. Oh, yes. To come over. And we were, you were tying grip knots and I was tying set dressing knots. That's right. On the back of the truck to, to get whatever it was we were hauling from there to here. I'll be darned. Yeah, that's wow. one of my first memories uh you. Is that right? Uh, another memory working with Scott Davis was in the uh, Marriott Marquis in Atlanta. Oh, well, that was on that, Manhunter. That was a cool place. Yeah. That was a cool <laughs> place. Fiftieth floor, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was. It was so huge, and you walked inside, and you looked straight up. Yeah, it was. You know, I, I you know, I, I really felt like an, a small town country boy when right. I walked in there. You know, mouth just agape, looking up. Oh, look at the tourists. Here I was a kid. This is my second movie. Right. Walked into the lobby of the Marriott Marquis with uh, Melbourne um, to check in. And soon you learn that you'll never want to be in the presence of Melbourne checking in or going to lunch <laughs> or doing anything. But nonetheless, I was young and I was saddled up with him and we were checking into our rooms. And uh, Mel uh, gave me one of the best architecture lessons of my life, albeit very much in Melbourne style. And um, and that he looks at the Marriott Marquis, he looks up this big, voluminous atrium. Soft mauve colors and cured contours, and he says, "God damn it!" He said, "This Empire State Building is a dick. This building is a pussy." <laughs> what? Look at it. And he's absolutely right. 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 The outside of the Marriott Marquis is a building that's with child. It's pregnant. Oh wow. On the inside, the soft colors, it's the womb. Oh, my gosh. And as a 
a somewhat cruel joke, in the middle of the womb is the elevator shaft with the elevators going up and down. He was spot on. And then he says, okay, guys, check in your bags and meet me up at the clitoris for a drink. (laughs) (laughs) And perfectly positioned Uh, is a little round bar floating above the floor. God. (laughs) And and that's a true uh, lesson architecture and speaks to the genius and vulgarity Uh. of... Uh, none oh, other than Mel Boyd. Oh my God, that is just wonderful. Tell me, <laughs> So that's Academy Award winning production designer, Melbourne. Now, the cool thing about ratbeer.com is each episode has its own page. And so for people like Mel that we talk about during an interview... You can now link right to their IMDb page, right? By just clicking on their name. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, Each episode has its page with information of our guest. And at the bottom is a list of IMDb links of characters and influences that were mentioned during the story. Now, you also, I think it says, buy them a beer? Yeah. You know, if you're interested and you you read up on them and, and you happen to run into them on the sidewalk, offer to buy them a beer. Tell me you heard about them on Rat Beer. Ratbeer.com. Now, remind me of, of, of the, the the trail you took from Charlotte to Raleigh to Wilmington. Right, right. Um, Chapel Hill, thank you. Chapel Hill. Well, um, my show business career, I guess you would say it started in high school. Um, I decided to change uh, high school because I wanted to play soccer for a coach that was at West Mac. Had a big fuss with my mom to leave a little private school that that they had built. Remember, it was on um, an uh, integration of yep. the schools and yep. busing. Yep. And um, and on my side of Charlotte, our parents worked hard to keep us from getting bused to the other side of right, town. So right, they right. built a little private school and went there. It was it was fine. And I played soccer, which the private school programs um, had soccer and. Love that. And then a really great coach, um, purported coach, was um, coaching at West Mac. So I made a big push. I want to go play for this coach. Mom kind of pushed back on it, but nonetheless, I got to go. And as soon as I told my neighbors, uh, Jay Michael um, lived up the road, hey, I'm coming to West Mac. He says, you need to join the AV club. He says, you'll love it. He says, we got cameras. We've got a studio. And I said, okay, I'm in. So I went to West Mac and joined the AV club. Oh, wow. Our librarian, um, little Southern, old Southern lady ran it. You know, she was our um, sponsor uh, or whatever. Yeah. Guardian. And what we had is we had a a Sony black and white reel to reel pistol grip camera. Oh, wow. So you had a pistol grip camera and a real eight. I think it's like eighth inch reel to reel. And um, we had a studio camera, a little black and white studio camera. We had a three quarter inch tape deck. Wow. And a monitor. Wow. That's all we had. Yeah, but still. <clears throat> but what we and we we produced live news every day, homeroom. Every day. Yeah, the student council uh, officers were the um anchors. Were the anchors and we showed live TV close circuit every day. So what we did is we took all all the video um, traveled through coax cable. Right. So we went to Radio Shack and bought a bunch of coax switchers, and we built a switching board. 
So now we can put the Sony camera on the tripod. We can have our other camera on the tripod. We put the monitor in the set and we had a three-quarter machine and we can switch cameras and we can roll video on the monitor oh and then we can cut gosh. to the video. Oh my gosh. And we sorted all that out. <clears throat> and I can't, to this day, I can't remember how I did it, but I would take that three-quarter inch machine home, which is about as barely fit in the trunk mm -hmm. of the car, and somehow would record off of my black and white 18-inch TV, you know, that I had up in the in my bedroom. I don't know how you did that. I think you attached uh, something to the antennas and turned it to channel yeah, four. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but long story short, is I would record uh, Saturday Night Live and this that, and the other. And so one couple times we cut to commercial and we cut to Saturday, Saturday Night Live commercial, you know, like Bassomatic. Oh, wow. Or Picker oh, Union wow. label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were often getting called up to the principal's office. <laughs> we were getting in trouble. <laughs> I remember when we got really in trouble, we showed. Um, uh, do you think I'm sexy? Who oh, the it? music video? Yeah. Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, we got in really big trouble because we showed Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy video during Homeroom News. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and they kept threatening to take it away. <clears throat> Nonetheless, I was making television in high school. I'll be darned. I applied for and got a, uh, a scholarship to go to the North Carolina High School Radio and TV Institute at Chapel Hill. Which was, this, is a, was this between junior and senior high? Or something like that, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Mm, it's like a two-week camp. I mean, just 11th and 12th grade, I meant. Yeah. yeah. You go to Carolina, um, WBTV, Channel 3 in Charlotte, paid my way. And um, and we got there for two weeks intensive. Oh, wow. You make radio, you make television, you have to manage a TV station, you have to do yeah. all this stuff. Dr. Elam ran the program. Holy cow. And then I and I came back with a reel. We were I directed live television, you know, and I'm um, with the full switching board, and yeah, yeah, technical yeah. directors, everything. We all rotated positions, um, positions yeah. oh and my um, God. and and I was interning at WBTV at the time. I'd go in on Saturday mornings at six o'clock and intern on the morning shows. Right. I showed uh, the director my reel one time. He says. Come in next week, I'm going to let you direct. So I was in high school. I directed the morning garden, gardening show. Oh, for God's sakes. No well, way. Three cameras set up, two people in an interviewed, and then he would take a camera away. So you got to do it with two cameras. So now you got to mm -hmm. gotta request moves. You That's move right. here, cover that, That's go right. then, come That's back, right. come back. And, um, and so I was directing live TV I'll be down. in high school. Yeah. I had one school only to go to. I was going to go to Carolina. And um. Apply, got accepted Carolina, and my friend John Bankson, um, who we're going to have on Rat Beer, who's a prop master. I met John Bankson in, in college. We are dorm mates. I'll be darned. And um, one time he offered to uh, type one of my English papers. You know, he's just up in the room, and I barely type and can barely write, evidently, because he's typing my uh, this my English paper and just slamming me. He says, you're awful. He says, you're terrible. You're the king of redundancy. He's just laughing and typing. Oh and it's the best thing that ever happened to me because yeah. I learned right then and then I need to learn how to write. Oh, wow. And, um, and I knew I didn't want to go to the radio TV motion picture program. I'd oh. gone to camp there. Oh, you knew you didn't. No, because I knew it already. I was working with people oh, who come to the program. I don't, I don't need to. Yeah. I don't need to do that. 
and I definitely need to learn how to write. So um, that day, I went and uh, signed up for journalism school. Oh, okay. So, so that's what you came out of college with? Yeah. Bachelor's in journalism, speech communication, and, um, and oh, wow. uh, advertising, copywriting. And I was placed. I had a job in New York. Because it was a it's a new program, it's really advanced. And um, and I kind of went up to New York, kind of, you know, walked down the halls and they said, Well, you know, here's the uh guys writing the tide ads, and these are the guys writing the Clorox ads, and and I was like, Ugh, it just didn't right, feel right. Right, right. It was short-sighted because I went to school with Michael Jordan, and when Michael Jordan left the same year I did, and the entire advertising and sports marketing industry changed. Right. Right. I could have been in that wave. Gotcha. But you, yeah, but you don't know. But yeah, I'd heard they were building a movie studio in Wilmington. And I said, that seems more interesting. <laughs> 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 and, wow. um, and then that was the spring. And I literally, um, my mom worked at uh, First Union Bank in, in uh, Charlotte on the top floor. She was executive right. assistant. And... One of the members of the board who worked on her floor was a, a guy named C.C. Hope, who was also the North Carolina Secretary of Commerce. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do and should I go to Wilmington or not. And kind of with her connection, I was able to get a meeting with C.C. Um, Hope in Raleigh. Right. So I graduated on Sunday. I had a meeting on Monday in Raleigh with C.C. Hope, the North Carolina Secretary of Commerce. Wow. I walked in the door, walked down the hall, and Paula Wyrick met me and um, and walked me into his office. And um, I said, well, you know, I'm supposed to go to New York, but I'm kind of interested in what's going on in Wilmington. And he said, son, go to Wilmington. You will have a movie career. So we're going to work hard to get this business. He said, go. And, um, and on his words. Just his words. Yeah. And, um, and I spent the summer trying to figure out the business. I didn't know. I right. got this book called, um, I checked out a book uh, out of the library called Anatomy of Motion Pictures. Oh, wow. Just and um, you found that in the library. And, um, it's in Charlotte, Charlotte Library. And you open it up in the middle, it had like the, you know, the, the full illustration of the entire movie set. Right. And then you flip it over and it's the line drawings with the numbers of who's doing what. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? I remember those books. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Those you know, this great. guy is a That's cinematographer, right. blah, 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 blah. This guy. And there's someone sitting on the desk over off the set. And you flip it over and says, this is the production manager. They're the person responsible for hiring. So, boom. That's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. So, I spent that summer of 84 writing letters down here. To everybody, anybody I could get a hold of. How where were you, where were you finding names and addresses? Do you remember? I was probably calling, persistent, uh, reading newspapers. So you were just doing the you were doing the legwork of research before computers, basically. That's which right. means you were you were probably looking up directories and you're looking up just anything that would get you a connection closer. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. That's and I, funny. I knew Martha Delorentis so I wrote her a letter. Right. And I wrote you know, anyway, and then I then I would call down here and just who's the production manager, and they'd just give you the name, and then that's then, right. Then I'm going to fire off a letter yep. to this address yep. to that guy's name, and my letters always said I'll I'll call you soon after you receive this letter. So so they get the letter, and, and then a couple they, of days later, I can say he's expecting my call. Yes, uh, that's true. <laughs> right? That's, yeah, that's true. And and that, did that work every time? Um, well, I had a I had a feather up my sleeve. I didn't even know I had. Um, 
there's another gentleman in the business named John Kretschmer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> a more established gentleman named John Kretschmer. John Kretschmer, who just happened to be the first assistant director on Silver Bullet. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out I can call anybody. <laughs> and they think it's him calling. <laughs> you just didn't realize it. That that's what, why do I get through so easy? <laughs> no, it's like, you, no, I kept getting a you again. <laughs> but, but the fact they would put you through so quickly, you know? Yeah, it's whatever. Like, oh, I, call, I call Martha, yeah. you know? Oh, Literally, and um, John Kripp, oh, 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 hello. You know, she'd be polite and whatever. And so here's another, you know, Carolina kid, you know, wanting in. And, um, another Carolina kid wanting in. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I'm waiting tables in Charlotte. Yeah. And trying to figure out how to get down here. And it got close enough. I actually ended up with a couple of meetings. So Year of the Dragon was big. I think I had a meeting with whoever the production manager was for Year of the Dragon. Uh, Marie was going. Elliot Schick. Elliot the, Schick. I remember the, Elliot was Schick. Was the production manager. Wow, for, I haven't heard of that name in thirty years. And I think I'm he sure. said, "Yeah, come on down. We'll 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 meet you or something like that." And um, had all my meetings lined up, and um, then in convinced my parents I'm coming down. I was going to stay with a friend of my sister, sleep on his couch. Some guy, stranger I didn't know. Yep. And um, then went out to have a really big weekend in Charlotte at my hometown before I'm getting ready to ship out Last to Wilmington. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Let's just say I wasn't paying attention to the weather. And um, and I got on the road 5 a.m. Monday morning in the dark, driving to Wilmington, and all the traffic's going the other direction. Oh. Hurricane Diane. Hurricane Diane. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> I stopped. I pulled up in Rockingham at the Orange Tot restaurant to get a you know some eggs and grits, right. and pull over the newspaper and it says Hurricane headed to North Carolina coast. Like, so what did you do? I plowed ahead. Oh, you, in you my came little, on in in my 1976 <clears throat> um, Volkswagen Rabbit. Did you have that car in college? No, no. Uh, I got the end. It's my grandfather's car. My okay. German grandfather okay. bought the first year rabbit. Sure. And I think I got it like my senior year. He okay. he gave it to me. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, but it was water cooled and a mess and rusting out. And... Didn't matter. It's your first car, man. <laughs> my first car was a 62 Ford Falcon. Oh, there you go. It was, it was, the engine was so small, you could climb in with it and close the hood. It was, <laughs> but I love that car. You my, know? Well, my first car was a Gremlin. Okay. And that engine was so big. <laughs> <laughs> it'd run a tank. <clears throat> Literally, it's like the biggest straight six ever made. Is that you know? right? Yeah, and, I didn't and know just that. drink gas. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. It's a fun car. But anyways, all right. So you drive in. I drive in. Coming. Drive in, and um, and I do remember about you know Waccamaw thereabouts. The water's about six inches deep. So she's like right off the coast at this point. Correct on a okay. Monday. Okay. So I check in with Tim Ross. Uh, was my host. Your host. Gotcha. And little apartments on Randall, right across from the oh, yeah. uh, university. Yep, yeah. He's right on the end. Um, so is it raining stranger. like hell? Is it well, it's raining. It's 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 come and goes. It's raining in the morning. Okay, on so Monday. It, the, it's still going through the bands, basically. I don't know if you remember Diane. Diane stalled also. Yeah, but, yep. but anyway, Just, I land on Monday. Yeah. Um. Actually, the sun. Actually, on Monday, the sun parted. We went body surfing, big waves. I busted my nose. And then that night, um, 
my host was uh, the night auditor at a motel. He had to go to work at night. Oh. So I'm here alone. In, Storms. Um, in his apartment. I got a six-pack. And the funny thing is, we met some couple of guys that we went swimming with. And um, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the glass doors with these guys in hazmat suits and stuff. And says, you got to evacuate. I said, all right. And it was them coming to get me. And they took me to a hurricane party. So we part th- that night I learned what a gust of wind is. I saw live oaks, every branch hit the floor, yep. hit the ground, yep. and then swat, and snap then, back up. Yep. Um, and it rained like crazy. The storm never landed. Yep. Finally, my roommate got off work in the middle of the morning and picked me up, took me home. We slept all day, and then then Tuesday night was landfall. And right. um, and he said, "Fuck it, I'm not going to work." Right, right. Um, and I said, "Well, guess what." I got two hits of acid in my pocket. <laughs> from the party the previous no, night? No, I brought oh, them from Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> so we dropped acid at Landfall. Oh, my God. And, um, and, uh, and Diane went all night long. The weirdest thing was we had an AM radio on. You know how at AM radio, you, you'll get a station from way oh, up yeah. north. Oh, yeah. it, it bounces off the stratosphere yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And uh, the weirdest thing in the middle of the night is we're listening to an a-, a station from Ohio where they're doing a live interview with the Hurricane Hunter airplane that's flying right over our head. Oh and you try to triangulate that. And, and you're tripping. When you're tripping. <laughs> <laughs> Go outside with a yeah. flashlight. <laughs> so, but, but nonetheless, wow. all, my, all my meetings were canceled. The whole oh, yeah. studio had emptied. Um, I came back over here. The back lot was leaning. Oh. <gasps> You know, all the poles were oh, leaning yeah, from yeah, the wind. Yeah. I, and, um, I remember Bobby talking about that. Yeah, and then, um, and then I went home and, and I lied to my mom. I said I got a job and I'm going back and I need to loan me two hundred dollars. You got a job? Yeah, yeah, I got a job. And I came down here with no job, and but I need to find a job real quick. And I was a pretty, I was a uh, accomplished bartender of sorts oh, okay. in college. And um, my first job was actually temp agency digging a hole in Ogden. I can tell you where it is. It's for an AT and T switch house. But my first job, I went there and dug a hole. And I'm with a guy named Gene. And I, I saw Gene not too long ago. And then um, then I went, I uh, got a bartending job at the Sheraton at the at Wrightsville Beach, yep. which is now the Holiday Inn. Right. I remember when it was Sheraton. And full-service bartending. Actually, I pulled beer a lot, but I'd never actually done proper bartending, but I had a really good manual and faked right. it. And um, uh, John Copeman was a busboy at the Sheraton. Is that right? And so and I was bartending, and we were talking about how we were wanting to work in the movies. I'll be darned. And I do remember going to his house one time, and he showed me his Super 8 movies he had made, you know, like— Knife stabbing a hand and things of that nature. Yeah. So he was at it at a young age. Wow. Man. Wow. But the most, the biggest benefit was the um, film crew for Marie was staying at the Sheraton. So you were meeting. These I was their people. bartender. Oh my god, <laughs> man, that's a great story. Chris Meanjaz, the cinematographer, would come in. He wouldn't drink. He'd get a cup of tea. And had all his books and study. Right. He would sit up there, and but, I yeah. was serving Chris Meanjaz tea. And um, the prop master, uh, uh, Irishman from New York, Frank O'Shea, sat there. He was my, he was my mole. You know, just a really good guy and knew what I was wanting. And, oh wow! And he was okay. coaching me. Yeah. You know, this is what you need. And right. he mentioned the name set dresser, 
And I, what's a set dresser? I, I imagine dress forms and yeah, right, right, skirt, right, right. And right. hoop skirts. All right. that, you know, I had no idea even what it was. And um, That one wasn't in the book with the lines and the numbers. <laughs> it probably was, but I went right over that. And um, But I'm sitting there trying to get in, get my meetings. I'm making my phone calls. And I knew, I learned with Elliot Schick that um, if you called at 7 o'clock or before, he would answer his own phone. He was there early. So every morning I'd call him at seven. Now Junker. back then, were you, was there was there a, a shift go through an operator or were you, was it direct lines? Did you have his direct number or did you have to? Yeah, his direct line. Somehow it goes straight to him. Okay. okay. Somehow it got straight to him. Because I'm trying to, it seems like I remember in the early days you would call the main number and then they would send you, and they would just send you through. <clears throat> right. You know, they Particularly if you're named John Kretschmer. Yeah, well, yeah, but I just remember, you know, <laughs> you just say, you know, can I speak to, you know, yeah. whatever production? Oh, yeah. And they just send you through. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. So, and, um, so he would, and one. I was trying to get a PA job. Right. I wanted a PA job. And he kept saying, we haven't, Hard yet, you know, call me again tomorrow, or call me next day, or right. he kept call me back. And meanwhile, um, Frank, the prop guy, the shooting says, Well, look, if, if that PA job doesn't work out, they need drivers, and they're hiring drivers. So, okay. And so, my 7 a.m. call to Elliot Schick, he goes, PA job, we, we filled it. Sorry, can't help you. And I said, What about transportation? He says, yeah, I called Rick Barefoot. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and um, and that was it. And I called Rick Barefoot, and, and he needed some he, drivers. They needed drivers. You know, John, as we're sitting here recording rap beer this morning uh, in the screening room at uh, Sin Space Wilmington, I'm just reminded about how much history actually has happened in this room. Well. Documenting history is one of our missions on Rat Beer. And as a young set dresser, I could have never imagined I would have the privilege to watch dailies with the grown-ups. And yet, it was an open-door policy. And at the end of the day, we could come in with our muddy boots and whatever and sit on the floor and watch dailies along with the producer, director, and even Dino himself sitting on the back row. Oh, my God. For a young filmmaker, what an opportunity to to just watch everybody's work come together on the screen. It was part of that sharp learning curve we enjoyed here in Wilmington. And I'm very thankful to Cinespace Wilmington letting us record rap beer in this historic space. Adding more history to the space. Very good. John, where'd you get the banjo from? <laughs> well, you know, the Wilmington film industry has a strong influence from Shelby, North Carolina, Western North Carolina. True. And I personally have an affinity for folk music and bluegrass from the hills of North Carolina. Turbo Pro Project is a band that um, fuses hip hop, bluegrass, and jazz. And I love the mix. Uh, Turbo plays banjo. DJ Deacon plays turntables and beats. 
Ryan R&B Barber plays vocals, beats, and keys, and Kim France plays upright bass. Well, I know there's a lot of different feels in just that one song. It's an amazing band. I first saw them in 2008 at a music festival in the mountains and have been a fan ever since. Uh, the song we're using as our theme music on Rap Beer is a traditional bluegrass tune called Cluck Old Hen. I love that name. And it's off their album Daydream from 2008. Nice, nice. Well, there's a lot going on in that song, and I do appreciate it. <laughs> Rock on. July 16th, 1983, so, the, morning, the Morning Star reads, uh, Firestarter to be filmed on location in Wilmington. Yeah, so it was. It, it may have been that article or it was just the buzz in the theater community. I, I really don't remember, but I just remember hearing that they were coming and they were doing Firestarter. And I had read that book the year before. So I knew that book and I knew what a cool story it could be. And so I thought, by gosh. I want to work on this. And so, you know, uh, we're, we're all kind of sniffing around trying to, you know, and, it, and again, it's such a small town. You would think it would be real easy to get all the information, but it really wasn't because there was very few locals really involved at first. Uh, yeah. Well, the way it, it, it's kind of well reported in the morning star, it's you have the location manager, right? It, who, who, right, who's gives the, who gives the beat to the newspaper, right. and that's and that's to know all. That's yep. the person that knows anything. That's it. And, of course, the next people that are reached out to are the people that are doing theater in town because right. by the casting directors, you know, yes. because they need to fill in extras and right. they need to fill in a, a tiny parts and whatnot, walk-ons. So, which is how, so, so, so I knew that the film was coming. I had no idea how to get involved. So one Sunday morning, we're sitting on on our front porch, uh, and it's probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, and we're already drinking beer, you know? I mean, we're a bunch of kids in our 20s, and uh, smoking cigarettes, drinking beer. And Don calls me and says, hey, uh, they're having a casting call down at the Hilton this morning, or this afternoon, and I gave him your name. I gave him three or four names of people, but I gave him your name. You need to go down there and see this woman, Joanna something. I can't remember her last name now. But anyway, you need to go see her. She's one of the casting uh, directors. Uh, but I gave her your name. I said, oh, okay. Now I got a little buzz going. So I'm a little cocky now. And so <clears throat> so uh, I go down there. I, I, a couple of people came with me. I, it, believe me, it was all such a blur. But um, I go down there, and there are just people walking and running around everywhere. I mean, it, there was probably a couple hundred people there, and they're all there for signing up to be extras and stuff like that. And anyway, I ask one person, then another person, then they get me in contact with Joanna, and I tell her I'm, you know, Don Ansel told me to call. Oh yes, come on, come on back here. And she says, Yeah, we're we're we've got we've got a, a few really tiny roles, you know, like this one I, that I wouldn't want you to read for. It's literally called the Bearded Student, and I had a big beard at the time. Uh, it's just one line, but you know, I just, it, it should be fun. And so I go into this room and, um, and there, there's a couple people there. I don't know who they are and they've got a camera and it's just one line, you know, is this, is this, uh, is this experiment being done for the shop? 
because I'm a wise-ass college student, and I know about the CIA, and I know that the shop is connected to the CIA, and, I, and I'm going to get to the bottom of this. That's kind of the, right. the way I read it. Right. At least I guess it is. Um, so I leave. Go home. A couple weeks later, by this point, somebody has said to me, dude, you just got to go out to the out to 23rd street there's a they're, they're in a middle building out there and there's some trailers out in the yard he says it's wide open just go out there and start knocking on doors and so i thought okay so i get on my motorcycle a little yamaha 360 i used to have back then and i ride on out and of course there is literally this metal building there's no fence there's no guard shack there's it's literally just it was it was a it was some sort of a metal welding shop at at, at some point or something you right know. And then all around it, behind it, all this far, you know. By the way, you're sitting in the middle of that building right now. Just to remind you that. Funny enough. (laughs) Funny enough. Said building. That is so funny. Shedding us from the elements right now. You are right. But uh, so anyway, so I I just drive, I just pull in the driveway and I'm on dirt and I'm just kind of going past the metal building and, and, uh, you know, and I'm intimidated and I don't know what to do. So I, I decide to. I decided to hit these outer buildings, these mini offices and, right. and, and, and just containers that I see Yeah, and start asking around because there's some people out there. And, um, and I knew that I wanted to be in special effects. That was the thing. I wanted to help with special effects because I knew there was a lot of fire in this movie. And I just thought, why not? You know, I, I do theater. I can, I can help. Magic. Yeah. That's so, where the magic yeah, is. Yeah. Right. So, so I, I, I asked a couple people and they all keep pointing to the very far uh, trailer mobile office way in the back. Right. I mean, way in the back against the tree line. And so I go there and uh, knock on the door and Jeff Jarvis opens the door and he looks at me. Can I help you? Now I'm 135 pounds sucking wet. I've been in a theater for months. I am just, I'm almost translucent. I'm right. so white <laughs> and just a skinny kid on a, you know, with a t-shirt on, on a little, little motorcycle. Hi, I'm Scott Davis, and uh, you know I do theater here, and and uh, and, and and I want to help and be a part of this movie. I want to blow stuff up. And and, uh, and I said, and I I know the story. I know the I've read the book, and I'd like to help you guys. And he just kind of guffaws, and he's kid. This is a very dangerous movie. He says, all of my guys are coming from California. They all have had years of training. They're licensed. There's just all these steps you got to take. Yeah, I'm, I'm not picking up any new people for, for this job. Closes the door. I leave. I come back the next morning and I drive across the lot and I go back and knock on his door. And I, he opens the door and he goes, didn't, didn't I talk to you yesterday? Yeah, I did. But I wanted to give you 24 hours to think about it. And, you know, he laughed. He thought that was funny. And, you know, we talked for a couple minutes and then I'm still not hiring you. Sent me on my way. So this, this continued for eight, nine, 10, you know, I, when I tell the story, sometimes it's up to 14, 20 days, but I, I want to say it was probably eight, eight, nine times every day, every morning. Um, Patient persistence. And, and so, and, and every day we spent a little more time talking and we started sharing stories. I was telling him stories about, you know, places to go around here and, you know, growing up here. And, you know, he would tell me a couple of movie stories, you know, movies he'd worked on that I had heard of how exciting first person stories. So this relationship goes on for, like I said, a week or so. And, uh, I think, I think the last time I was, we sat on those steps for about 25 minutes, just bullshitting. And, and at the very end, he said, Scott, I really appreciate your enthusiasm and your tenacity, but I'm still not hiring you. 
And I looked around and said, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. So I get on my motorcycle and I'm going back across the field and I'm coming past the, the painting shack. And, uh, there's a, and there's a guy out there that I recognize. I know he's from Wilmington. I don't know who he is, but it was that small of a town back then. And he's painting some stuff on a, on, I don't know, just on some sawhorses. And, uh, I pull up to him, I get off and I said, man, how'd you get this job? Because I just showed up one day and they just happened to need painters. And, uh, I said, man, I've been banging on that guy's door for over a week and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden the Ward Welton comes out, the paint boss. And, uh, well, he was, yeah, he, he was the paint boss. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, he starts screaming at me. Uh, when I tell you 7 a.m., I mean 7 a.m. Now you get your ass inside that. And if you see any raw wood, I want primer on every piece of raw wood you see for the rest of the day. And I looked at him and I looked at the other guy and I looked at him and I just picked up my stuff. I said, I am so sorry, sir. That will never happen again. And I just walked right into the building. Now, I did not arrive in paint clothes, but I left left in in paint paint clothes. clothes. Yes, you did. And I painted for two days and I am the worst painter. I have no delicacy about it. But I'm a lot of fun and, you know, and, and before long, you know, I was, you know, kind of the guy, I was the logistics guy and I was getting stuff prepared and I was doing stuff for Ward and, and that was literally, uh, I'm there for two days and then Ward comes up and he goes, you're not that kid I talked to on the phone. And I'm like, damn. And so I started picking on myself. He goes, no, 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 no. You know, we're not curing cancer here. You can stay. He says, the kid that I had talked to on the phone was in a fender bender and just never bothered to call me back. And that's how I got in the film business. And, 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 and I always, when I tell the story, especially to film students, I always, the point I try to make is it was the tenacity. It yeah. was the, you know, let that know just empower you to go again. You know, I mean, yes, you may be annoying them, but they will appreciate that you keep coming back. And, uh, and, 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 and so for me, that's how I got in the film right. business. And that's what I call patient persistence. Yes, yes. And not to mention, I was a little more confident every time I went. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I was getting comfortable with the, the surroundings. I was getting comfortable with my, my pitch. Right. You know? And, uh, and, and also realizing, because that's the other thing, too, when you go into a brand new situation, you just assume everybody's smarter than you, talent, more talented than you. And, right. You know, yeah. and as you begin talking to people, you realize, oh, we all got the same issues and talents, you know, different talents, but we all have our issues. We all, we're all human beings. You know, we all have bad days. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and the movie business is just like any other manufacturing you know, company to me. Cause yeah. that's what we do. We manufacture a product, you know, Ward and I became, uh, good friends. Ward took me on the next, uh, three projects. Um, uh, you know, um, when Dino left after Firestarter, we all assumed that was it. And so I went back to the theater and, you know, everybody went back to whatever they were doing. And then of course I get a call from Ward. I, I, I'm pretty sure Ward was the how I knew they were coming back. Cause he calls me and says, Hey, Dino's coming back. Apparently he's going to do a few pictures there. And, uh, they've invited me back and I'm calling to invite you back. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And that was cat's eye real quick story about cat's eye. So again, I'm on the painting crew and I I'm working with guys that end up all becoming, you know, scenics, uh, you know, big time scenics sure. and, um, some real talented people in that group. And, um, 
and, and, and like I said, I'm just the, the funny guy. And uh, so anyway, we're, we're uh, on the set, one of the oversized sets, and there's a wallpaper pattern that uh, is on, the, on the, the set that little Drew Barrymore's bedroom's in. Again, this is Cat's Eye. And, um, and there's, a little, there's this little monster in, in the story um, that's, that gets up on top of children and sucks the breath out of them and takes their soul away. And so we had to build, a, I don't know what the scale was, but let's just say it was, you know, eight times the size, you know, I just know that the, I know that the bed, the mattress of the bed was probably 20 feet in the air. Right. So the walls were all probably 20, 25 feet. And they had this line pattern. It was like it was like images of sort of like little flowers. And they were like in straight lines every six, eight inches. So they had taken um, um, uh, that blasting paper that you that frisket. We call it frisket. And and so they had cut out like three patterns that you overlaid for the multiple colors. And then you just, you just sprayed it right? and then you'd pull it off because it was adhesive. And then you put the next one on. I did an entire row, which took most of the day. And at the end of the day, Bobby, um, Testerman, Bobby Testerman, who was the foreman. Yeah. He comes in and he looks at it. He goes, that's a beautiful job. He said, he's, that's really clean but it's completely upside down. And I, 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 I didn't know. I was so upset, embarrassed just as I was going, you know, cause he was talking about the taste. He, he said, really, you did a nice job, but it's completely upside down. Oh my God. That's, that was really when I knew that eventually I'm going to find something else to do in this business. Cause there's, there's no way I can, I can continue. So after that, uh, I want to say is when Ward said, uh, Hey, I'm going uh, to do, uh, this movie called color purple, um, which I had read that book. Right. And I said, where, where are they filming that? He goes, I know, a little town outside of um, Charlotte, and uh, which was Monroe, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, anyway, eight months. We spent eight months. Uh, uh, you painted color purple. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Be darned. Yeah. And actually, this is back in the eighties, and so when productions uh, would send people out on location, you shared rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so Ward and I were roommates. Ward just said, he said, you know, he says, they're making me share with somebody. And I just said, it might as well be you. You know, I, I like you the most <laughs> socially. And uh, so, yeah. And so for eight months, we spent, uh, spent uh, our, we were in a, a Holiday Inn a motel because, you know, you, the cars right. are parked there and the doors are right there. And uh, we drove down this back road. It was a gravel road that started about half a mile from the hotel or motel. And it was like a back way to the set. Um, and Ward had found it like on the second or third day. And, uh, and actually Ward had me started, had started having me drive. Well, I had never had a power steering car up to that point. Uh, and so I'm driving 10 two, and we're just, we're, you know, constantly just drifting a little bit. And Ward finally looks at me and he goes, you never driven power steering before. I said, no, he goes, put your arm on the armrest and just grab the wheel with one hand and just kind of guide it. And I just thought that was one of the coolest things I'd ever learned. Cause now I'm driving with one hand. <laughs> anyway, we drove that gravel road for months and months and months. And, wow. and um, 
and it was a great experience, and I learned uh, I learned uh, so many more uh, aging techniques that I wasn't any good at. Sure, but mm-hmm. um, but again, I I really became more of his logistics guy. You know, I I just made sure everybody else. We hired a bunch of painters uh, from that area as well, uh, and of course, he had brought the the guys that he was already loving here in Wilmington, and yeah, we did that for months and. And that was in, I guess what was interesting about that is that was not a Wilmington story per se. At all. Uh, but big Hollywood movie coming in and separate from Dino De Laurentiis right. and the effort here. But, you know, as far as my story goes, it is that connection of Ward coming to Wilmington because of yes. Dino and then Ward taking me because of our relationship, exactly. which, is, which is the story of almost all of us. Oh, uh, for sure. You know, as far as those of us that have gone out, have had incredible, some of us have, have had amazing careers and yeah. a lot of us have had successful careers, but yeah. all of those careers were based on those early relationships. Well, yeah. I mean, it is today as well, but but when you're talking about Wilmington's film history. My experience with Firestarters, I'd finished college in 84, spring 84, and I'm um, supposed to go to New York to write advertising. Right. But I hear they're building a movie studio down right. here. And so I spent the summer in Charlotte trying to figure out how to get down here. And I never will forget, I went to see Firestarter at the Dollar Flick in Charlotte. <laughs> you remember they had the oh, second yeah. run, Dollar oh, Theaters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I saw a lot and, of movies And that I'm way. watching that thing with a keen eye because they shot that in Wilmington, and that's where I'm going to go and make movies, and I'm looking at it. And I, and had you ever been to Wilmington? Yes. Uh, I had come down in high school to play soccer. Okay. You know, we came yep. down and, and beat up on Laney and Hanover <laughs> and Wildcats and soccer. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to come down here and I'm watching that movie very keenly. And I'm like, I recognize these roads. You know, the I said, it looked like North Carolina. Yeah. I said, and I think in a way, I said, that makes sense. You know, that I'm, I'm going to go down. Yes, we can make movies here. Yes. Because you got to remember growing up at that point, every TV show and everything was shot in California. Absolutely. Everything looked like you, Southern California. Right. You, you never recognized your own And I'm area. looking at pine trees and pine straw and sandy, you know, shoulders on the road. Right. I said, you know what? I guess they are making movies down in Wilmington. You know, that's where I'm going to go. You know, Scott, we have so many great stories told on rap beer by members of the crew, but we must not forget that it takes a village to make a motion picture. And Wellington has always been blessed by many businesses and service providers that have risen to the occasion to support the film industry. Well, let's not forget, it takes a village to run this podcast. Amen, brother. And uh, one of the uh, service providers uh, in our area that has been very uh, supportive of us is Rudolph Cinema Supply and Mark Rudolph. Uh, It's an expendable shop like no other. Uh, Mark has been in the business for 25 years. Uh, I have worked personally with him on many, many shows as a best boy. But uh, he literally has everything from tapes and gels to hardware to soft goods to even even lighting fixtures. Um, and Mark really runs a 24-hour kind of mentality when it comes to helping productions out in an emergency. And you're just not going to find that kind of service. So Mark Rudolph, Rudolph Cinema Supply, a proud sponsor of Rap Beer. Hey, so that's a wrap on episode one of Rap Beer. Episode one is done. 
All right, gang, subscribe, like, follow, go where you go, do what you do. Find us on ratbeer.com. There's more episodes to come. And speaking of more episodes, what's coming up on the next one? Episode two, I call it The Tribe. Jeff Schlauter, construction coordinator, who actually built the studio that's now Cinespace Studios, and Rusty Edmondson, electrician, both of which came from Shelby, North Carolina, and worked for Earl Owensby, the B-movie mogul who laid the bed for the filmmaking industry in yes, North Carolina. All right, well, that's Rap Beer, where stories are told about storytelling. I'm Scott Davis with my co-host, John Kretschmer. Be kind, everybody. Thank you.